You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Gary Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. And welcome back. It is another edition of the Unofficial 40, and we're uh, joined by the whole crew once again back at it. Josh McQuistian is online with us, Eddie Radosevich, Joe Duvall in the house as well. And boys, welcome back. I know it's uh, it's been interesting. I've been out on vacation. Josh was out on vacation, so it's kind of a chance for us to call, all catch up back again. But uh, good to see you, fellas. Yeah, good to see you. How, how, how was, how was <laughs> that vacation? That does not sound convincing at all. How was vacation? Uh, I sat around and watched 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah, I, yes. I did see that you... Uh, that's just something I've never gotten into. Game it's of worth Thrones. getting into, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, Josh, I, you're, a, you're a got guy, aren't you? Oh, I'm a huge Game of Thrones guy. Yeah, that's... Eddie... I, don't, Eddie, I think you have to recognize it. Like, I can recognize that The Office is a huge miss in my TV arsenal... You've got to recognize that Game of Thrones is a miss for you. You've got to, yeah. got to catch up on that. And get see, right. Here's part of it too: is like I hate like the Renaissance Fair people, the you know the <laughs> pedophiles disguised in, in armor or whatever. Um, I hate the Norman uh, Fair thing. Yeah, I the, won't the go anywhere. Fair I won't go to the medieval fair yeah. anywhere. So it's like that's like what my biggest. That's as high as it gets on the rung of stupid crap that I will not have to deal with in my life. I was kind of afraid the Game of Thrones would be kind of like that, like too much, uh, you know, lords and mm-hmm. and you know jesters and all that. Mm-hmm. You really don't. It's it's really not. The chicks are all hot. Everybody's naked all the time. There's a lot of whores in it. It's there's too much naked. I would say <laughs> the the one the couple parts that I have seen of Game of Thrones. There has been a lot of sex usually when There's I'm like walking through and my roommates are watching it or whatever. There's a lot of sex and a lot of murder. That they navigate the like heavy politics and all the characters and the tough backstory and they get you through all that with the nice uh, violence and boobs and nudity and it's all that. It's kind of like the main board a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was late on uh, Breaking Bad and it ended up treating me well. So yeah, maybe I'll get good. in on this. All right, so uh, guys, uh, you know, Josh, we kind of talked a little bit uh, pre-show about some of the things that were going on in, in recruiting. I guess the biggest thing uh, we could start off with is talking about the opening, which is getting ready to go. Yeah, you know, obviously everybody kind of knows the story now. There's eight guys uh, already committed to Oklahoma that will be at the opening. I need to go back and look, but I want to say the highest number previous was like three. So it kind of tells you where OU's gone with these elite guys that are known early on. And, you know, when you throw in guys like Caleb Von Shashan, uh, Marvin Wilson, you know, you run down the list of a lot of other elite guys that are still uh, heavily involved with Oklahoma, and it gets pretty crazy. I mean, it's really a, a deal where there's no reason to think that Oklahoma couldn't sign 12 opening guys this year, which would probably double any previous number. Like I said, I need to go back and look and kind of have those numbers um, verified. But I, if, it, if they've signed more than six, that would very much surprise me in years past. Yeah, and they haven't really had this opportunity to really get another big recruiting pitch in with a bunch of guys that are already on board. And they'll have their opportunity to, you know, sometimes coaches can do and say whatever they want. But I think the, the best thing that kids can hear the most – uh, convincing sales pitch comes from their peers, and uh, to have that many guys around with you know Brandon Bowen and Marvin Wilson, like Josh said, that's that's something Oklahoma hasn't really had in the past. It, it really it just hasn't been. Like I said, what's crazy, you know, and, and again, it's something that's been somewhat discussed is the fact that 
all of Oklahoma's commitments are on the exact same team. So if that team goes out and does well, I mean, and you look at it, I mean, it's guys that are going to be working together a lot. Chris Robinson, Jalen Rager, Grant Calcaterra. Uh, you go down that list and you start to see a lot of uh, guys that people are going to get a chance to watch them compete against one another and compete with each other. So if those guys go out and shine – it makes Oklahoma look good. It makes it look like that class is what it's kind of hyped up to be. And then those guys don't have to sell as hard. They get to say, hey, you can come play with us. We'll do this on Saturdays for the next four years. So, like I said, this is it's just kind of a fun thing to watch uh, that it's kind of come together really almost perfectly for Oklahoma. I mean, four secondary commits at the opening. I mean, that's that's one of the most absurd things that Oklahoma's done this early in the process to have, you know, Trajan Bandy, Trey Brown, Justin Broyles, and Robert Barnes. I mean, they're all there. That's incredible. And not to mention Levi Draper also on that defense. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a sign, like, we've, we've said this, I mean, every time I feel like we sit here, we talk about this. With the, this early start for Oklahoma helps build momentum to have a better ending. Uh, and I know they've ended well in recent years. That's kind of been their M.O., but... Now it looks like they actually have the infrastructure ready to nail some of the bigger recruits in the country, some of the five stars that they've missed on, missed out on. They have what they need to complete that process. Yeah, instead of having to close on three or four elite guys and then four or five guys that maybe were playing B or playing C type guys, they're hoping to be in the position where they can just focus on three or four elite guys and have a little better luck maybe landing, you know, the, the guys we've kind of talked about, the Marvin Wilsons of the world, uh, the Joseph Lewises, you know, James Robinson, those elite five-star type guys that Oklahoma just hasn't landed in recent years. And I think that's only helped when you, A, have a really strong class put together, but B, can kind of put your entire staff and recruits on the case of those three or four guys. So you, you really have a a focused effort in what you're doing rather than, you know, well, we'll get to this guy when we can get to him. He, he's going to be tough to get, so we've got to focus on the players we have to have and those kind of things. So, like I said, I, I think this sets up just so well for Oklahoma, especially when you consider these guys have seen each other at seven-on-seven seven stuff, uh, you know, the, the rivals challenge in Atlanta. I mean, these guys, there's a familiarity there. So it's not like they show up in Oregon, kind of get to know each other, and then go home. They kind of get to continue to build off what they've already started. Just for perspective, Oklahoma with eight commits is uh, that's second most out of all schools that will be up at the opening. Uh, Ohio State, of course, uh, with their number one ranked class right now, they have ten commits coming to the opening. And then, uh, you know, you look at some of the names of these schools, and it's really surprising, I think, that to, to see that Oklahoma will have more commits there than Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida State, Michigan, Clemson, Old Miss, Texas. Uh, it's kind of a, I guess, a who's who list of, of guys that are going to be up there, and Oklahoma has uh, the second most. So, uh, as you guys said, that, that has to be a good thing for uh, the Oklahoma coaches. And it's, it's a double whammy for Texas because one of their commits there is DeSoto offensive lineman Xavier Newman, who, Josh, I mean, you say he's could be an Oklahoma commit here in the next few weeks. Look at that segue. That that was really smooth, Joe. Really oh, yeah. impressive. Like um, but no, no, you're right. You know, and he's a guy I've had a chance to talk to here uh, this week. You know, that kind of all came out while I was on vacation, and so I've kind of had a chance to catch up with him now. And I, I don't think there's any hype about that. I think he is very serious about Oklahoma. I think he wants to get to Norman and kind of see it for himself. But barring something really earth-shattering or something really changing. I think it would be very surprising if Xavier Newman starts the season at DeSoto uh, as anything other than an Oklahoma commitment, which is crazy because, you know, Brian, Brian Jackson uh, was Oklahoma's last DeSoto signee, a guy that's, you know, obviously long expired his uh, eligibility at Oklahoma, had his cup of coffee in the NFL, was kind of famous for the hard knocks. Um, I think, what was it, the rookie show yeah, thing that he had to Jets, do that kind yeah. of made him famous? Yeah, they taped him so, to the goalpost. He was not happy. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Direct so, I mean, Jets. you know, and, and that's one of those things where Brian Jackson was a good player, but he's so long in the past. When you say that to OU fans, I think a lot of them kind of have to go back and think, who was who that guy? Like, they, they don't remember him that vividly. And when you think about all the talent that's come out of DeSoto over the last decade, that's kind of amazing that some guy hasn't just kind of fallen into Oklahoma's lap, but now it looks like that streak could finally end. Well, and let me ask you this. I mean, you talk about Newman, but you know, 
big news recently is Creed Humphrey and his commitment to Texas A&M. Um, has he had a chance to, to spend time around Chris Robinson? Has he had a, a chance to spend time around these Oklahoma guys? And, and could they could that be one of the guys this week that they could make an impression on? Oh, if you told me he was going to come out of this at the end of the week and say, yeah, you know, I think I'm going to go to Oklahoma. I'm going to go up there for a visit and kind of, you know, and kind of publicly say, you know, just pending this visit, I'm going to announce or something. That wouldn't shock me at all. He is a guy, like I said, it feels very much like Oklahoma is not just, you know, nipping at Texas's heels. It kind of feels like that Texas commitment is just a... I I don't know. It's just kind of words right now. Now, not on Newman. I'm talking about on Creed Humphrey. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's a great point. Um, To my knowledge, he's been around those guys, you know, coming up for different events. Um, I know that, for example, when Joe and Eddie were at uh, OU's Elite Camp, there were several of the commitments that are at the opening. Uh, Jalen Rager, uh, Charleston Rambo, some of those guys that will be in Oregon. And Creed was there that day. But I don't know how much time they actually spent together. Um, but I don't get the feeling just talking to people that Creed is a guy that OU is going to double down on or really going to go push for. I think they're more than happy if Newman's their guy. So it's not that they don't like Humphrey. I certainly don't want to give that impression. I just think that he, you know, it's another situation where, yeah, it's great to recruit the state of Oklahoma, but if you can open the door at DeSoto at all, then, you know, if you think those guys are equal, I'm probably going to take the guy from DeSoto. That's just me. Yeah, we talked about, uh, no, no, when we were at uh, the elite camps, we noticed Creed was there at both camps. Uh, I'm talking to guys like Tyrese Robinson, who's an Oklahoma commit, and you kind of got the feeling after a few weeks of uncertainty with Creed that, okay, maybe he's starting to come on board with Oklahoma and this is about to wrap up. And then, I mean, what, less than a month later or just about a month later, he's gone to Texas A&M and uh, now that I don't think it's shocking that the Newman stuff has uh, started to surface now, and Josh, I mean they can't take both, right? That's an either or. That one of those guys will be the center of the class, correct? Yeah, I don't think there's there's any doubt, and it's been made clear to me that they see Newman as a center. I think that's definitely the plan for him, and that's that was where Humphrey was going to be. Uh, it also kind of ties in today's story of Cesar Ruiz from uh, IMG Academy, uh, the number one center in the country that actually has Oklahoma. In his top five, kind of sounds like he wants to take an official. I I would be surprised if that official ever happens. I think Newman will end up flipping at some point or another, and they'll move on from Ruiz. He'll do something else. And I, you know, people will get up in arms about that. Oh, he's the number one center. He's all these things. The odds that Oklahoma is going to land him is incredibly small. So to go ahead and pass on a talented guy like Newman at a program like DeSoto for a guy that you're not going to land at a school that's very talented but is not going to send a lot of guys to OU, it's 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 just not a risk worth taking, in my opinion. So I like the way Oklahoma's playing this. I think it makes sense. And I, I definitely think there's going to be one center, and it's going to almost certainly be Xavier Newman. One guy I, I know people saw recently, got excited about a tweet that was sent out, was from Jeff Okuda. Um he is certainly, I mean, you know, we saw him down in Dallas at the Rivals Challenge, uh, hanging out with those guys, and, uh, you know, that was the ill speed thing, and, you know, everybody was there, and, and I thought maybe Justin Broyles was working him a little too hard at times, uh, but I this seems like another chance, you know, like we said, with eight guys there to make, make an impression on, on Jeffrey Okuda. Yeah, when we were in Atlanta, he was hanging out with a few Oklahoma guys, specifically Trey Brown, and, you know, our... our Scoop HD interview with him was terrific. I mean, he's obviously a great interview and a good kid, but he he's had good things to say about Oklahoma, positive things to say. He said it was like home. Uh, and, you know, you can't really ever tell if that's just lip service or not, but you, you started to get the vibe that at least Oklahoma has an opportunity to keep making inroads with Okuda, stay in the fight, keep Ohio State away from uh, closing the door on that one and see what happens. And, you know, it's, here's another opportunity. He was at, uh, you know, in, in Atlanta at the – Rivals five-star challenge with all those Oklahoma guys, and now there'll be even more out in Oregon. And, you know, you never know. I mean, he's he's three hours away. He's a five-star kid, one of the best players in the country, and he seems to at least like OU. He might not might like him as much as Ohio State, but, heck, I mean, you, you get those guys around him. You get uh, Trey Brown around him again. Maybe Justin Broyles uh, figures out the right tone to hit, and Chris Robison is one of the better re- uh, recruiting recruits in this class. That's, that's good news for Oklahoma. 
Absolutely. You know, and Akuda is one of those guys. And, I, you know, we talked, I talked to a lot of people in Atlanta, and there's no doubt the consensus is that Ohio State's way out in front. That's happening. But the thing that always resonates with me, it's something, you know, you hear kids say, and they don't say it very often, and they don't say it about many schools, but Akuda has repeatedly talked about how Oklahoma feels like home. He feels very comfortable there. He feels comfortable with Kerry Cooks, uh, Coach Viney. You know, you kind of go down that list. And so I think there is a lot of familiarity and something that goes a little understated because we talk about, you know, Trey Brown and Justin Broyles. He has a very good relationship with Robert Barnes. Those two have known each other quite a while. They actually came up on that last visit together. Uh, even into the point of, you know, Jeff knows Reggie Barnes and, and the Barnes family well. So there's a lot of connection there. You know, obviously Robert goes up all the time. So anytime Jeff wants to go up, that ride's there for him. That can happen. And Oklahoma can just kind of continue to build. And I think they're – don't get me wrong. Ohio State's the choice here. That, that's definitely what you'd bet on if, as things stand. But with that big game looming early in the season – You'd almost bet money Akuda will be there along with, you know, just tens and twenties of other elite guys. That has a big chance to maybe show him some things that, you know, yeah, Ohio State's had a ton of success. That's great. But Oklahoma, when you look at it on paper, looks like the better team this year. So we'll see what happens. But I think Oklahoma has a chance to make a huge statement there. And that could be where you start to see things turn. And the longer he runs this out, it's one of those rare situations where Oklahoma's recruiting a guy in Texas, battling a school far away, but the farther this goes down the road, the better it is for Oklahoma. The distance is not – usually that works against the local school. But in my opinion, the longer this goes out, the more time he has to think about OU, maybe staying close to his family, his friends, all those sort of things. That works for OU and works against Ohio State. Is there any guy – Right now, I mean, the, talking about this weekend in the opening, is there any guy other than Baron Browning that, that the Baylor situation works as well in Oklahoma's favor as it does for him? Probably the only guy I would def- definitely say is Caleb on Shashan, the, the defensive end outside linebacker from uh, North Shore. Uh, for those that don't know, his dad played at Baylor, uh, his, his late dad. He's now, he's now passed on. Um, and I don't know that he was talking about Baylor a lot kind of publicly, but privately you always kind of got the feeling that, yeah, he loves LSU and he loves A&M and you know, he was considerate about U of H, but you didn't get the feeling that maybe they could overcome Baylor, you know, that there was that kind of uh, serious connection, maybe made even more so because of his father's passing, that that felt like a lineage that maybe he wanted to carry on. But talking to some people that I know and I trust, it sounds a lot like he knows that situation just so toxic he can't go near it. So I, I think that's really opened the door for Oklahoma uh, with him. And you know, as we all saw, like I said again, uh, we haven't really talked about it. He put OU as his number one school about about ten days ago now. So um, Oklahoma's in a great spot with him. He's a guy they really like. I, I think that's um, that's a win Oklahoma wants. Not only because he's very talented. But during his Oklahoma trip, as we've talked a lot about, he built a relationship with Marvin Wilson, and those two guys, along with C.D. Lamb, are starting to kind of privately talk about playing together and kind of doing something, you know, as Houston area guys. So that's that's the big move for me. But Baron Browning, I I got the impression talking to Baron, and he's kind of quieted down lately. But he and I talked a lot early around the time of his Baylor commitment, and kind of through the time he decommitted, um, that. Baylor maybe didn't handle his decommitment as well as he would have liked. I got the impression he was a little sore about that. And I don't know how involved they would have been if this hadn't transpired, but there's no question. I mean, that it definitely closes the door on the Bears for him. Who is it, out of all, you, out of, all of OU's commitments now that are going to be, who is it that, that Browning is closest to? I guess you'd have to probably say Levi, maybe only because of, Barron is close with Anthony Hines, and Anthony Hines and Levi are close. I, I don't know that there's that other guy. Now, I know Barron and Justin Broyles talk a lot, but that that list is not very short. I mean, I think we all know Justin's talking to anybody <laughs> that has no U offer. So yeah. you don't want to be like, oh, yeah, he talks to Justin a lot. And you talk to Barron, and he's like, man, Justin's always in my ear. You know, it's kind of what you mentioned, maybe maybe it's a little too much. I, 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 Barron certainly never said that, but – 
you just wonder a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, there's no question. OU's guys, this class of 2017 is really as focused as any as I can remember on under, kind of understanding that if they want to build a great class, they're going to have to chip in and they're going to have to do their part because – even the guys that I think people think of as, oh, he's kind of quiet and he doesn't get that involved, um, they're they're engaged in it. I mean, they do it. Levi Draper, as Eddie can attest, is not a, a guy that's going to talk at great length about much of anything, but Levi is constantly talking to guys. He's involved. He's trying to help this class. And, you know, with him being a well-respected guy and one of the best players in the state of Oklahoma, he helps a ton. You know, I, I think that uh, Chris Robinson also – he, he's, he's probably a little bit more quiet about the way he goes about it, but uh, when we've seen him at the RCS camps and even the uh, back in Atlanta at uh, the Rivals Combine, or I mean uh, the Five Star Challenge, uh, it seemed like he, he was, him and Browning were together quite a bit, and it seems like they have a pretty good relationship. I think there's some truth in that, and Chris, you know, kind of as an aside, I don't think any guy has changed his demeanor more over the last about 18 months than Chris Robison. That guy used to, if he saw me, and Chris and I get along, we always have, but if he saw me with a camera and a microphone, like he would, I remember going to his game last year, and he was hanging out with his girlfriend and his parents for about as long as humanly possible. I was sure they were going to turn the lights out on us. But now, I mean, Eddie and Joe were there at the uh, the satellite camp in Mesquite. He walks right up, and he's high-fiving, and he's talking, and it just seems like a, a guy that, you know, kind of understands his role better than ever. He knows that as the quarterback, people are watching him, people are looking at him. And I think Chris likes the spotlight. I, I think he just kind of wasn't sure how to deal with it for a while. But he he's really, Eddie, you know, kind of hit the nail on the head. He has a lot of good relationships. Guys like him. And he kind of walks with that confidence that I think other people buy into. There is no doubt that he, uh, I think he enjoys the spotlight. Oh, that's a fact. I mean, you don't, you don't. I would do the same thing, too. You don't lift your shirt up and show off the abs unless you uh, want people to be looking, you know? And that's. That, I wouldn't know anything about that. That was a move that I, that I never made either. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, there was one guy uh, that Joe, uh, you said you wanted to uh, kind of bring up here, and that's Cameron Rising. Yeah. Uh, quarterback for the 2018 class. We're going to move ahead a little bit. Uh, out of California, four star. It feels like. I know. Uh, Josh Heupel back in the day, a few guys in California early and on the West Coast and even up in uh, Washington with uh, oh that Brown kid that ended up going to USC. That, Max Brown. Max Brown, right. They, that, they, they tried some of these West Coast quarterbacks and that never really seemed to work, but it seemed I'm getting the vibe, Josh. Tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, Rising, I, I think I'm saying that right, Cameron Rising seems to be different. He seems to be more enamored with Lincoln Riley than some of the – although Max Brown did flirt with OU a little bit, I, I, I get the feeling that Rising likes Lincoln Riley more so than some of those other guys. Uh, were interested in Oklahoma. I think OU finished second on on Max Brown. I think they did too. I think they were. They did. It, they did. It, I mean, it was a distant second, but yeah. it was second. I yeah. mean, you know, he he really and Max was a kid I you know got to know well, and he he always liked Oklahoma. I think it was kind of one of those cases where USC was just closer. I I think that's really what that came down to. UW was too close. OU was too far. USC was a perfect middle road. So, um, but but as far as as the question of Cameron Rising. I I was given the impression that that Oklahoma was in a good position, but when he and I talked, I think it's better than I thought it would be. I really thought he would kind of say, "Oh yeah, you know, I like these things," but he's got a brother at Arizona State. He's got a lot of connection to UCLA. I, th I think that's his family likes the idea of him uh, at UCLA, but at the same time, you know, he kind of I he kind of mentioned that he had some leaders, and I said, "Well." You know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but, you know, what can you tell me about the leaders? And he goes, well, you know, one of them my brother's at and the other one or, you know, the other few I'm going to visit. So that tells me UCLA is not there. Now, this was just before the UCLA offer. So that that clearly can change some things um, and probably does. But I don't think there's any question that if, if you were going to say of the schools he's going to visit, you know, which is like LSU, uh, Alabama. I, I'm trying. I'm going to forget some schools. Oklahoma State is also on the list. He's going to visit them the day before, and OU is actually his last visit on that trip. And if you made me say, you know, which one of those schools do you think is most likely, uh, you know, kind of at the top of his list? I don't think there's any question that it's Oklahoma. He re he really likes Lincoln Riley. Kind of mentioned that he reminds him of some of the coaches he works with uh, in Southern California, and, and I think that was that's just a huge deal. And obviously. 
what Riley's done with Baker Mayfield and the kind of the stage he's already on as an offensive coordinator, I, I think Oklahoma's a very real contender there. And I think people that just assume that it's probably Casey Thompson or Bust right now, I think they're wrong. I think Rising's a very real possibility. And if you haven't watched that kid on tape, go watch him. That That's a possible five-star, in my opinion. I love his tape. Yeah, Josh, how do you think they're going to handle uh, Casey Thompson and the recruitment going forward at quarterback? Are they going to uh, just kind of say, all right, we're going to recruit Casey hard, we're going to recruit Rising hard, and we're just going to see what happens? Or are they going to make one a priority over the other? I, I think they're going to just recruit them as, as they come, you know, as the guys show interest, as they – it seems like Riley is a little more willing to let the players kind of show him where things are at. I think we all saw through the years that sometimes Hype, you know, and, and not sometimes, Hypel always had his guy. But I felt like there was kind of varying degrees of, well, I'm really excited about this guy, but I'm kind of hedging my bets with this other guy. But there was usually that one narrowed focus. With Riley, he's comfortable recruiting three or four guys and really letting the chips fall where they may. I think. When he makes that offer, he's confident I can win with this guy. Now, he probably has a hierarchy, you know, and, and I won't pretend that I'm aware of it in this particular conversation. But to me, I, you know, if Rising wanted to come, I, I think Casey Thompson's just out in the cold. I think that's just the way that goes. But at the same time, if it's Casey, I think Rising's out of luck. So I, I don't think Oklahoma wants to tap the brakes on either guy. Whichever guy wants to come on board – get started in 2018 because they know you know this is something that I've noticed a lot with this staff as the changeovers happen over the last three or four years they understand that those those few key positions and quarterback is number one at the top of the list that those guys commit early they're going to take a lot of trips in their junior year they're going to figure things out and then the class will get built around it you know you go if they sign Cameron Rising, they instantly have a better chance at kids in Southern California. So they're going to go harder after Jalen Hall, the five-star uh, receiver from Los Angeles. Or if it's Casey, they're, they're going to shift some things and do guys he's more familiar with. So I, I think they do a very good job of isolating you know, what they want to focus on. And quarterback is clearly they want to have that hammered out by probably midseason, if I had to guess. And if they can do that, then they can really start to build some momentum in 2018 like they have in 2017. Outside of – and even if you want to go back to the opening, if there's anything you want to touch on there, but but even outside of that, uh, anything out there kind of in the ether as far as maybe a flip or a visit that – you know, visitor visitors that might be coming up? Well, I think the thing that we have to talk about is this this kind of growing conversation about this barbecue at the end of the month in uh, late July um, with Oklahoma looking to bring in a bunch of guys. I think they really expect almost all of their commitments to show up, certainly all the regional ones, uh, 2017, 2018. We've had some news on some 2019 guys from Georgia that are going to be there, including uh, a kid named Owen Popo from Loganville Grayson um, that has – probably 40 offers now and hasn't even started his sophomore year of high school. He is a freaky guy. So there's going to be a ton of guys on campus. I think it's really – you're starting to see, again, and I, I kind of keep coming back to this, Oklahoma's progressing as recruiters. They're getting more innovative. They're trying new things. They're not just kind of re- resting on, well, we're Oklahoma and this is going to happen because we are. They're trying to do different things. I, I've heard a lot of conversations about some changes they may make to the camp setup next year. So, uh, like I said, I think this is a good starting point for Oklahoma to get a bunch of guys on campus right before the start of two-a-days, right before things really get rolling, and they can have all these guys here, both committed and uncommitted. And it wouldn't shock me for a minute if you start to see, you know, a commitment or two come out of that, you know, some momentum really, really build, because that's traditionally been when Oklahoma's recruited really well, is once the season was over and through the summer. That's been their two big areas and it's been a little more quiet this summer than I expected. So maybe you'll see a couple of guys pop there, and then again you start building momentum into your football season. And you know that the, the, speaking of the picnic, yeah, you know, that was something I had said something to somebody I was talking to around the program. I said, "Hey, that's that's a great idea. You know, congratulations on coming up with that." And they told me that it was actually Jay Bullware that that brought that to the table. Uh, something that they had been doing a little bit of Auburn. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's it's you're right. It's it's guys just pitching ideas and saying, hey, maybe we should try this, maybe we should try that. Uh, and with all the momentum that you've got built right now, I think that's the big thing is it lets you try maybe off the beaten path stuff that you haven't done before. 
because you know what's the harm in in doing something and it doesn't go well well, you've got instant credibility. You know, it's, uh, Anthony Hines sees that Levi Draper, Chris Robinson, Jalen Rager, you know, and, and go on and on with the commitment list. Just getting your commitments there makes it a good visit weekend. I mean, that's still a whole bunch of talent there. Well, then other guys are like, well, those are my buddies, or, those, you know, I want to go hang with those guys and kind of see what this is all about. Years past, Oklahoma had good commitments, but they weren't the guys that drummed up national attention. It didn't turn into a big deal. I guarantee – by the time July 29th comes around, Oklahoma is going to have national stories written about this weekend. There's going to be people talking about it. That's not happened for an Oklahoma summer visit weekend probably ever. So, again, you just have this natural, easy thing that where the players almost handle some of the work for you. Our first uh, scoop 30 for 30 production might need to be, when, when, when was this decision made in the – I guess the way that they go about things like how could that not have been something that the coaching staff as a whole tried to do say five years ago? I, I just don't, it, it kind of blows my mind that, that this all kind of came to a head and now they've started to make all these changes in recruiting, but it's been something that, you know, I think I brushed it off even uh, on the board three, four years ago was the fact that they weren't doing things like this and they were falling behind in recruiting what was there one player or one guy that and I guess it it maybe not can be answered in just one podcast but what was the what was the big turning point for Oklahoma in the in the way that they started doing things just getting new blood in there and listening to new ideas I guess I you know I, I'll I'll throw this I'll say this I had you know when things weren't going well and, and you guys know and we've talked about this a lot I I think from the first moment we saw the, the, the big bigger staff turnover, which was Lincoln Riley yeah. coming in, Kerry Cooks coming in, uh, you know, Dennis Simmons and, and and everybody wanted Tim Kish out, they wanted Mike Stoops out. But you could see behind the scenes that these guys were hustlers. I just I feel like I say this all the time and I feel really bad saying it, but I cannot stress how bad, you know, Oklahoma was from a recruiting standpoint there at the end with the Bobby Jack Wrights and the mm-hmm. Jackie Ships. And I think you're really starting to see, you know, how far it had fallen. And I think I think Jerry Montgomery got so much credit because he was really the first new blood that was, you know, uh, that was a hustler, that was, uh, I say that in a good way, that that, that was a guy that was dynamic. Uh, and really, they lost that when they lost Brent Venable. Yeah. So you have all these older guys. They're not really as good at communicating not good at the Twitter and the Facebook, and then you lose Brent Venables. There was a giant hole there, and it, it didn't happen overnight. And I kept telling people, just wait, just wait. Fortunately for Oklahoma, they go to the college football playoffs. That really starts, you know, everybody I know was upset the first year that those coaches were here. They didn't have a great recruiting mm-hmm. class, but then it gets kick started. All this work they've been putting in is now paying off. And I had a guy telling me the whole time, like, you don't understand. Bob Stoops is willing to to be as innovative as anybody out there, and he's willing to try things. And he gets pigeonholed as this guy that's, uh, you know, lost his touch a little bit. But it all, well, I've been told, Josh, that it it just all comes down to Bob, and, and and he is willing to basically try anything when these guys bring it to him. You know, and Kerry, I think you're absolutely right. To me, you know, Eddie, you kind of asked who who I thought might be the guy you'd point to, I, I think you could make a case for Justin Manning, the the former uh, Dallas Kimball defensive lineman, uh, little brother of Demarcus Granger. Yep. That was yep. such a foregone commitment. That was going to happen. And then for him to choose A&M, which, you know, Kerry, you talk about all those things. Kevin Sumlin bringing a new staff was going to be very aggressive in the way they recruited in the swag copter and doing all the music, you know, all the stuff they did, you know, DJs playing during practices and all this cool stuff that made AM feel very young. And I think, I, I, I certainly don't want to say, oh, that's what did it, but I, I can't help but f- kind of look at the timelines and think, well, that's pretty interesting how that kind of worked out and uh, the way that played out. And I think there had to be some kind of, uh, I don't wake up call may not be the right term, but I do think there is some correlation to how that's kind of changed over the last three or four years where you've seen Oklahoma, like we've said, trying new things, doing different things. And, and Kerry's right that Stoops has been very open to these things. I do think at one point, some of those criticisms were fair. I, I think Oklahoma yeah. got comfortable in what they were doing, but there's no question. I mean, he's, uh, he's, the guys that have longevity like Bob Stoops and have the level of success he's had in that time, 
you have to adapt. You have to do things differently. I mean, you know, people, the best one kind of from our, from the preceding era was Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden ran like a wing T at West Virginia and ended up running, you know, one of the precursors of the spread at Florida State. I mean, did a lot of different stuff. So, you know, you kind of look around and see how those guys change. And that's, that's just what you have to do to stay successful because everything is so fluid, both in recruiting and what happens on the field. And, you know, I think it's also interesting because you mentioned that timeline of losing Manning. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody really started to question everything around the program and what they were doing. Bob had the unfortunate comment of, you know, we don't have any beaches around here, which set off a firestorm. Uh, God, I still, I still <laughs> that, see that him saying that die. like in slow motion, just standing there in front of him going, don't say that. <laughs> Hashtag, beaches. Hashtag beaches. So, but, but, you know, what happened was then they started turning it over. Then they couldn't get it going. Then they're like, okay, what else is wrong? And they, and that, that really made them dig in to say, okay, our facilities have fallen behind. Like, and it's, I always feel bad because I'm always, over the years, I'm always asking Bob these questions. Like, I remember clearly, like six or seven years ago, like, Bob, you know, you're kind of falling behind in facilities, aren't you? And he would never admit it. He would always be like, no, we're fine. We have what we need. We, we should be able to recruit with what we've got now. Eventually, somebody, I, I think it was just the way things were going on the recruiting trail, where they're like, yeah, okay, we're falling behind. We, we need to spruce up this place. We need to make a bigger visual impact on our recruits and uh with you know all of a sudden they get a master plan together now it's you know it's building the recruiting class is great these coaches have taken over and that's kind of why i don't really look at bob stoops as being a guy that's got one foot out the door anymore yeah i think that's an interesting point you made carrie about how uh if you look at some of the the guys in college football today some of the best coaches you know nick saban urban meyer you look at their history they haven't changed nearly as much as Bob Stoops has and what he's done with that team. Think about both offensively and defensively. You've had years where they were running with Quentin Griffin, you know, basically every single down, Adrian Peterson every single down, and you've also had years with Landry Jones and Jason White and Sam Bradford where you spread it out and you see what you can do that way. And now you bring in Lincoln Riley to bring in more of that Baylor kind of Texas Tech, uh, Mike Leach, go back to that 99 stuff. He's kind of come full circle that way. And then on defense... They went from 4-3, you have that 3-tech penetrating, Tommy Harris, Gerald McCoy, and now they run the, uh, basically a 3-4, it's a 3-3-5, but it's basically a 3-4 with Stryker off the edge. I mean, he's willing to adapt. I mean, that he has shown that uh, ability to change, and I, I think you're exactly right, Kerry. People don't give Stoops enough credit for that. I don't think there's any doubt that Oklahoma's renaissance with uh, facilities came uh, not too long after a certain uh, Boone Pickens made... <laughs> contributions to Oklahoma State and they all of a sudden had yeah I mean that was a big thing is that they nicest facilities I had someone telling me like you know that they would go and what happened was you know I know when Montgomery was here and it wasn't Montgomery that was doing it but they started going on a facilities tours like they went Mm -hmm. up to Oregon they would go to Oklahoma State and they would look at those places and they're like damn I mean like we, we can't compete with this I mean this is and they I think they started hearing it from recruits like yeah you know, this is, you know, this is Oklahoma, but Oklahoma State's nicer. Like, yeah. you know. I don't think there's any doubt. I think after so many times of hearing that, they're just like, we need to get out and really look and see how far behind we are. Well, it, it tells you where they were like a year or so ago. They stopped really even touring the facilities. It was like, go watch this video of what we're going to have coming. Like, they knew that if they showed everybody what it was – that wasn't going to sell anybody. Now they may, you know, some kids are going to not care about it. It may not be a a black mark on them, but at the same time, with <laughs> with what they have, they knew that was a positive. You know, when I talk to these kids, almost every one of them talks about Headington House. Like that, that's the one of the first things that come out is how awesome that is, and the foot, you know, and the facilities and all, you know, what's going to come and how it's going to be. And now that they're starting to really show some construction, you know, like Eddie went down and shot video, I know, for us about a week ago of how far they're coming along with that uh, south end of the stadium. Those are just things that continue to sell. And if you, like Kerry said earlier, if you can go ahead and win and you're going to the playoffs, then, you know, you just kind of have the entire package rather than, well, try not to look at this, but hey, we're still Oklahoma. Well, it, Josh McQuestion. I know we got to we got to get at, you know we got to get you out of here, Josh. You got a chat to get to. Uh, we did want to hit on one thing, and that is uh, Baylor transfers, or you know, I guess you call them transfers. Yeah, I mean the recruits, the signing class. Oklahoma gets Parrish Cobb. 
Uh, they lose Patrick Hudson. We'll talk about Brandon Bowen, but just Cobb and, and Hudson, Josh, and how you felt like that worked out for the Sooners. Obviously, good well, in one situation. Absolutely. You know, with, with Hudson, that was a crazy deal because when he took that visit, it felt very token to me. I, I didn't feel like Oklahoma was really involved. I didn't think that anything was going to come of that. But as I talked to people the few days between his visit when he actually announced on Wednesday morning, you got the impression Oklahoma felt like maybe they had turned the tide a little bit. And I think they gave him a lot to think about. He had some relationship with Trent Williams. and I think that helped Oklahoma kind of uh, in the same way it did with Giancarlo Valentin. Um, so, you know, I, I got the feeling that Oklahoma had a chance, but I think Texas was always going to be the smart money. And I think Texas really had to find a scholarship available. And in the same, you know, kind of the same turn, I can't help but wonder how Parrish Cobb goes if Texas had room for him or if Hudson had chosen Oklahoma, does Cobb go to Texas? I mean, that's it was a very interesting dynamic because those two seemed kind of intertwined, although they're completely different players from completely different sides of the state and, you know, play at different positions, but they seemed somewhat connected in that way. And I, I can't come up with anything else that explains why Cobb took the time he did. If he was waiting to see if Texas was going to have room for him, but by the same token, you've got Parrish Cobb, you know, going to Austin and choosing not to have a sit down with Charlie Strong. So there, there was just a lot of moving parts in that whole deal, and Brandon Bowen does not show signs of being any easier to solve. Well, and and let's just talk about you know Bowen and and I mean obviously he you know re- reported out there that uh, he was released, and I know. Just from talking to people, he's somebody that OU covets very strongly. Um, talk about kind of his commitment, how it worked out coming out of high school, where Oklahoma was then, and where you think they might be now from people you might have talked talk to. It's a situation kind of similar to Hudson. Like he took that, he committed to Baylor early on, then kind of backed out of it and decided he wanted to take some trips. And really, the only trip he ended up taking was to Oklahoma. And that was another one that he came out of that weekend. And, and was people, that kind of a secret trip? Like they didn't, like nobody knew he was coming up or Oklahoma tried to hide that he was coming up? Or what, am I thinking of Hudson? That was my impression. Was like I didn't know about it until probably midday Saturday, Saturday evening of his visit, which is very unusual. I mean, not to say that we don't get stuff, you know, stuff sneaks by us sometimes. It does. But that was definitely, you could tell there was something of a concerted effort to try and keep that a little under wraps. Um but with, with Bowen, you get um, – he leaves the campus. Oklahoma was set to do an in-home visit with him, kind of going to roll out the whole thing. And the night before they were supposed to come in home, he announced, hey, I'm done. Baylor had come in and kind of closed the door. And that was that. He signed with Baylor, and that was kind of the end of the story. But, you know, as you look at it, Oklahoma was clearly his other option. So when you look forward now that he's been released from his letter of intent – You'd have to think Oklahoma's in a good spot, but what makes it interesting is that some of his relationship was with Deron Reynolds, who, of course, is now at Stanford, and I don't know how well he knows Calvin Thibodeau. I I don't get the impression that Kansas was ever that involved with a guy that had his offer list. So I I think Oklahoma has to do some catching up. Now, I don't want people to misunderstand. Mike Stoops definitely has a relationship with Bowen and his family, so it's not as though Oklahoma's just having to start from square one. It's just one of the guys he knew the best is no longer in Norman and is you know would probably have been his position coach if he chooses OU. So there's a lot happening there. I, I there's there's two very different schools of thought. I have trouble believing he's just going to let this whole summer go to waste and wait until uh, you know basically the start of two a days and show up on campus and start working out with whatever school he chooses. But I do know some people that think that's how that's going to play out. I personally think he'll announce something this week. I I think he's seen enough of these schools. There's some talk of USC and UCLA, and obviously if that's the case, then it'll probably have to be prolonged. But if it's coming down like I kind of expect between TCU, OU, and maybe Texas A&M, he's seen those schools. He knows what's there. He might have to drive and see one of them to kind of check some little things. But I, I just don't think there's anything he really has to think too long and hard about. And with school starting, you know, the second sem- uh, semester of summer session starting next week, I think that's what he would kind of try to move toward. And Josh, uh, just a quick question. Uh, who do you think uh, would have the most immediate impact for Oklahoma? Would it, would it have to be Cobb over Bowen? I mean, is that was that the biggest 
land they could get from that Baylor group to help out immediately at cornerback, especially with what's going on with Jordan Thomas? I, I think you'd have to say yes. I mean, really, before Thomas, I might have said, ah, you know, he's missed so much time, and I really like Jordan Parker, and I think maybe he's the, the OU's next field corner. But with what's going on with Thomas, I, it wouldn't shock me for a minute, guys, if we see uh, through those first game or two of the season two true freshmen starting at corner. Like, it's, it's possible to me. Now, Ooh, wow. yeah, yeah, I mean, and you're talking about U of H. I mean, you're, you're talking about some schools that can really sling it. So that, that that's got to keep OU and Mike Stoops and everybody up at night. But we'll see what happens. I mean, obviously, you know, there there is some experience there. Uh, guys like Dakota Austin and PJ and Bonasor and all those sort of things. But I think Parker and Cobb are the two best corners OU signed in the last few years. So I I don't know why you would write them off as possibilities. Which I th- I think is saying something too when you look at the guys that Oklahoma has brought in the last couple of years, particularly in the secondary. Uh, for you know, for you to say that Jordan uh, Parker and Parrish Cobb are two of the best, I would I would think that that lends I guess a good news to Oklahoma. You're not just throwing two freshmen that, while they might be wide eyed, they're they're still going to be I guess capable of of doing a decent job. I think is the best way to put it. I mean, is that fair enough? Yeah, you know, and, and they're guys that have played at a high level. You know, Parrish Cobb won, you know, Texas 4A state championship last year. Jordan Parker's a guy that comes from the same area. You know, you talk about uh, guys that have made instant impact. He's from the same area as Drew Samia and Joe Mixon. So, I mean, you, you talk about a guy that's played good competition. He knows what it's like in the Northern California area. So, I think they're capable of handling it from an athletic standpoint. It's just a matter of are they mentally where OU needs to be. They're going to make some mistakes. They're going to bust. It's just can guys like Stephen Parker and Ahmad Thomas keep those to 25-yard busts or does it end up being huge touchdown, you know, game-changing plays. So I think they're very capable. Like I said, I like both of these guys a lot. I know talking to some of of the sources that I talked to, uh, Parrish Cobb was a guy that, that hurt OU. I mean, that that was not just a, well, we lost him to Baylor, that stinks. That was a, we really liked this guy, and it, it, it was a painful thing. So I think Oklahoma's very excited to have him back in the fold. And again, you throw in a guy like Parker that was one of the West Coast's best corners and really has been never a guy that wavered that much. I mean, never that you kind of always expect guys from afar that commit that early to be a problem as far as the solidarity of their commitment. But he was never an issue, really. So I, I think you kind of – I don't think Oklahoma's in as bad a shape as they would be in some years if they had to play corners that young that early. The closest uh, thing I can think of in the Bob Stoops era was – I think it was 2006 when they started Reggie Smith and Keenan Clayton at safety, and they were both true freshmen. Uh, and, you know, Keenan Clayton ended up getting moved to linebacker. And But these guys, Parrish Cobb and Jordan Parker, in your opinion, would be um, – um, upgrade in talent over I mean Reggie Smith's very talented but over Smith and Clayton it wouldn't it wouldn't be that it wouldn't be like throwing in guys that uh, I'm not sure if they're ready these are two highly highly talented corners yeah you know it would honestly kind of remind me of um and again if it's all if you assume that they can grasp what they're you know learning in meetings and the playbook and all those kind of things but from a physical ability to handle what they see and it's I certainly won't say this was a guy that I first saw, but as soon as you saw him on the field, you said, this guy can handle it. That's Aaron Colvin when he played so early as a true freshman and actually I think got his first start against Texas that year. Um, and, you know, you just kind of look at it, and that, that was a guy that from word go, sure, there were some mistakes, but you knew, okay, he's going to be okay. At the end of the day, he's not going to be the reason they lose a game. And I think those guys are capable of being that, but it's a huge ask. I mean, they're, they're, especially – you're not talking about starting off against, you know, uh, as Bob Soups loves to say, East Popcorn State. I mean, you're talking about a very real open to the season, and we'll see how they handle that. But Oklahoma, you know, has got two young corners that definitely have the ability to be, you know, in my opinion, three and, you know, obviously in this case, possibly four-year starters. I just want to clarify something. By the way, uh, Josh, it's it's a pleasure talking to you. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that you allowed us to speak to you today. Um, <laughs> any any uh, any last words on Katie? I know you got to get to uh, your chat. By the way, congratulations for making it through a podcast without Old Man Josh showing up. 
I'm stunned. Like you didn't I, give I, any I words thought, of wisdom. Thought, you left me no choice. I thought you were going to have like some stuff built in. Like I was waiting for the introduction to like to have some sort of old man Josh audio just like built in that you had on your uh, your screen there to play for me. Not yet. That'll come. Okay, it's coming, of course, of course. Um, I don't no, even know if no, I can I mean, do the imper- the impersonation anymore. <laughs> I haven't been practicing it around the house or anything. <laughs> we, you know, we've talked about most of, you know, kind of the big news. Obviously, this time of year, it's all a little bit slow. You know, things are kind of coming together. But, you know, I, to me, some of the areas where I think OU fans were most concerned, you know, linebacker, defensive line, it seems like things are moving well at those positions. I mean, you've got to close the, all the cases. You know, we, we talked um, last time about Jacob Phillips at Atlanta and how much he seemed really serious about OU. So, you know, and, and the defensive line, guys like Josh Paschal from um, uh, oh, Maryland, I'm going to forget the school right this minute, DeMatha. But, you know, you kind of go through that list, and I think there's reason for optimism. I think some of the holes that Oklahoma fans were really worried about you assume they're going to go well. Now, we've all seen this before. You know, Anthony Wheeler at Dallas Skyline burned OU. I mean, there are some things that could certainly still go wrong, but where Oklahoma is at right now with their guys that are not committed at positions where they need help, I, I think Oklahoma's moving in the right direction. And one of those guys, I think later this month, could, you know, Sedarian Lamb, I expect him to get back in the fold with Oklahoma. All right. Uh, are you still sad about KD? Oh yeah, I'm I'm not over that one. That you know, and I, I put something out yesterday. And I think everybody took it wrong. Like, oh, I don't care, man. That's heartbreaking. Like that sucks. I you know, when it comes to the Thunder, I'm just a fan like anybody else. But for you know, all the craziness and the shirt burnings and all like, oh, stop, stop. You're crazy. There should be more burn than shirts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did you did you and your, did your roommate burn his pile? I know you talked no, about he, him making one. He he didn't. He, what he did was he just we just put everything out on the corner uh-huh. uh, where the trash goes, uh-huh. and somebody picked it up. I don't know who Good. who did. Good. I think uh, one of well, my... you have a lot of homeless people that live near you. <laughs> we do. <Yeah>. We do. <laughs> you can tape up the three and make it a Oladipo jersey. <laughs> if I go to Schlotsky's next time and somebody's wearing those KDs, <laughs> I might have to stop him and interview him on Vine. <laughs> Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, all right. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad to not be talking about it. I've had two straight days of <laughs> yeah, three and a half hours of KD therapy. You should have taken your vacation this week so you didn't have to talk about it. I was walking through an electronics store in Dallas when it came down, and I would not have noticed except for Gay Biker texted me about it. I wouldn't have cared. Especially since it was Golden State. Could Gabe type through the tears? Like, was he was he he's, okay, or he's, is, he's is he really still bust, mourning? He's busted up. Yeah, so. yeah. He had to go to Detroit today, so that was even worse. <laughs> what a bad consolation. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's. I don't think Detroit is. I don't. I I've only been in their airport. It sounds like it's not. I don't know. I don't want to get him fired from his job or anything. But man, Detroit. I, I mean, what would you like? How do you say that? Like, I'm sure Ryan Broyles is just like, I mean, Ryan Broyles is just like, I'm just going to quit football. If I have to stay in a place like Detroit, I don't need to play anymore. Screw it. I, ugh. I don't know. I've heard enough people say things about Oklahoma that I get defensive that I try not to do that mess. But Detroit, I mean, that's just. They think Bigfoot lives in the abandoned houses there now. In Detroit? Yeah. They've had Bigfoot sightings. He migrated from Southeast Oklahoma. Because there are entire neighborhoods that people don't live in there. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. I've like seen they, like documentaries and stuff. Yeah, about they've that. like it's like a ghost town. It's like they won't let people go in there, and if they catch people, they arrest them. Yeah, it looks they burn houses for fun. Like we make fun of West Virginia. They burn old couches. Like that's kind of trashy, but like you burn houses. Like really, that's a sport. That's that's for giggles. I that that's crazy. All right. Well, th- I think that'll do it. I'm glad we didn't have to have too much Katie therapy. Um, I just hope Russ gets traded before the start of the season. <laughs> oh, man. To the Lakers. A year of Russ unhinged? I mean, I don't even... It, at this point... We've seen a year of Russ unhinged. It leads you outside the playoffs. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't even care about... The, the Warriors are going to win the championship, so it's, I don't even care at that point. Let's see if Russ can average a triple-double. Let's just see. That'll be fun. I mean, Thunder aren't going to win a championship. Just let Russell Westbrook be Russell Westbrook for a year. All right, next time on the Thunder Buddies podcast... <laughs> I think that's the I think that's, that's the, the news okay. Yeah. So anyway. 
All right. Well, Josh, I know it was longer than we thought. Uh, we basically did an hour podcast on just the unofficial 40. So a team podcast will be coming to you soon. I'll, we'll probably shelve that for today. Uh, other than to just say... We do need to probably talk about Jordan Thomas at some point. Dallas, Dallas, the Dallas Todd thing was just... I mean, I think they'll be able to get a one reception in nine yards somewhere next year. That's Ahmed Kaba. Yeah, I think say Eddie going with the Ahmed Kaba defense. That Eddie's on fire today. He was, yeah, he big contribution to Oklahoma. I think we all expected that he would end up. Well, it was something that out. I mean, it was a rumor for a long, long time. Uh, yeah. That was something that we checked. And he into. denied yeah. it. He, I'll say it now. He denied it himself because I talked to him. And he said, "No, it's just a rumor. I'm not. I'm not leaving." So obviously, what did we decide that was like late May when you guys kind of had that? It was yeah. It was uh, January, February. It was right after school started. Fifth month or right after school ended. Yeah. Yep. So, but yeah, I mean, Jordan Thomas. I all I can tell you is this. I mean, the offense that he had is not something that people have been suspended for in the past. But that's like. Like Tony Jefferson, and I remember Tony Jefferson and Kenny Stills both got arrested for interference. Mm -hmm. Kenny Stills got suspended for like a half, and Tony Jefferson didn't get suspended at all. And it was probably because didn't Stills, he was actually the one that got the DUI. I think it was Tony that just got the interference. Yeah. It was was public in talks. It wasn't DUI. Okay. But yeah, I mean, but assault and battery, I mean, like I said, when it happened, uh, if if the charges get dropped, you know, that could happen. Uh, then I don't think he's facing suspension. But that being said, the kid has been in a lot of trouble. Uh, I obviously they look to him as they were looking to him as one of the leaders of the team. So when something like this happens, I mean the kid has got all kinds of things going on. There, he's got some issues, yep. and I'm not ready to sit here and say that he won't get in trouble again before the season starts. That's the, <laughs> I mean that's the the deal you're you know the, the kid you're dealing with right now, and then the traffic stuff. Where he got, he basically got arrested because there was a warrant out for his arrest, uh, and he was going some ungodly speed, like through Chickasha, like ninety miles an hour. So, I think there's some concern there. Is he reliable to be there at the start of the season by his own doing? The, the worst uh, def- passing defensive game Oklahoma had last year against Tulsa, where they gave up the most passing yards, is when he got kicked off. He, he or, missed that game. That game. Yeah, yeah he, PJ and Bonasor had to come in. It basically ruined PJ and Bonasor for the year. Oh, he, it's ruined at least his perception among OU fans because that game. I mean, he, he had. I mean, looking back, knowing that he couldn't practice all week, that Thomas was getting the reps with the ones, and then late in the week. Thomas gets suspended, and then Bonasor, true freshman, gets thrown in against Tulsa, and that, that at least makes sense, but he did not look good. He looked very bad. He gave up that Hail Mary at the end of the half. Um, so Thomas is, he's shown a history in the past of letting the team down, making bad decisions, and you, you can't count on that well, not to happen again. I'll say this. I mean, Josh, you mentioned Parker and, and how far along he is. I would say, I would give the edge to him right now because he has been here longer, and Cobb, who knows what he's been doing in the offseason if he stayed in shape. Uh, I mean, he, he gets here early enough, he can turn around. But I talked to someone recently who said, you know, those Baylor guys need to get here if they're going to get here because they're going to be behind and they can still make it up. But I think Parker just having a couple more weeks on him is going to be more game ready as a true freshman. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt. People always underestimate. And it's not just the, oh, you know, he got to campus and he's fine. Well, you got to adjust to school and where you got to go to class, and you know all the little nuances that nobody thinks about. You know, I think people just think, oh, you know, they go to a few classes during the day and then they go play, you know, practice football. There's so much other stuff going on, and beyond just being good at what you're doing, just getting comfortable with where you're living, and I, I think that's a huge advantage for Parker, especially when I think he's a little more natural fit playing that role where they've had Zach Sanchez. He's a guy that. Is going to be uh, to me. He's a little bit, uh, a little twitchier, a little bit more explosive than Cobb, who's a little bigger, longer guy. Um, ki- kind of like Jordan Thomas, not as big in frame, but just kind of that similar body type, and going to play in a specific kind of way. So I think Parker's definitely got a leg up, and I, I could have made a case that even if things were all even, I would have picked Parker. But yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think both these guys are really good. 
I think it's just a matter of how quickly they pick things up. All right. Well, we're going to come back with the team podcast. We've got the Big 12 Media Days coming up in less than two weeks. Uh, all three of us, Joe, Eddie, and I, are going to be down in Dallas uh, for that. Uh, but, Josh, we appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. And I know you got a chat coming up. And uh, looking forward to uh, continuing these each and every week as we go along. So, for Josh McQuistian, Eddie Radosovich, Joe Duvall, I'm Kerry Murdoch, and we'll see you next time here on the Unofficial 40.